Welcome to episode 69 of the Digital Fabrication Experiment, hosted by Eddie Kramer, Chris Lee, and myself, Winston Moy. We're a couple of CNC nerds, and we'd like to bring you into our conversations about life in the shop, things we're making, and what we're learning along the way. Eddie, Chris, how are you two doing? Hey, I'm doing great, Winston. How about you, Chris? I'm doing pretty good myself. So, Winston, I noticed you guys have been posting some very interesting stuff on the uh, Carbide 3D social media. Can you fill us in on uh, the big news? Yeah, it's it's been a huge relief to finally get out the uh, the what's being called the Shapeoko HDM or heavy duty machine. Um, it's it's kind of what's been keeping me from posting a lot of other stuff because we've been ramping up to launch it. Uh, but now that it's out, it's uh, it feels good, and I can finally show it because I've been doing a lot of stuff um, like testing with it um, that I, I just I wished I could show, but I couldn't. Um, if we go back like a year, like I was doing a lot of the prototyping for the Nomad Three enclosures, like on this machine, um, and I was like, I wish I could show this process, but um, between like beta testing it and like using it in our actual production process. Uh, there's just so much about it that I couldn't share, and now that it's finally out, I'm free to discuss anything and everything about it. Is is it for sale today, or is it still kind of? It is. I think it's yeah. pre-order, right? Yeah. Um, so, okay, so you could order. So, I guess we should take a half step back for anyone that doesn't know. Uh, the Shapeoko HDM is basically a CNC router um, that we threw uh, linear rails and ball screws on all three axes. Um, so it's it's kind of like the Shapeoko you know on steroids, uh, and that's the uh, the top of our line. Um, with regards to the, um, I guess kind of the the capabilities and the sizing, uh, the stock size is somewhere between the standard Shapeoko three and an XL. Um, so you can fit at least like a two foot piece of stock on there. Uh, we would like to do a bigger version, but we've got to figure out the small version first. Um, as for the when, uh, it is available for pre-order now. Um, and we did say before that we never want to do a pre-order again because of like the <laughs> huge trouble ramping up for Nomad 3 and Shapeoko Pro back in 2020. Um, but things are, this isn't like a, a pre-order, like when you go to Kickstarter and you say, I want to pledge this much money and hopefully it gets through production. Um, we already own like, like 80 or 90% of the physical hardware needed to build these things. So it's like machining assembly, um, just cause we didn't want any, um, supply chain, uh, variability to, to kind of yeah. affect us and, uh, make us break our word. Um, so it's available for pre-order now and they should ship within four months. Uh, but hopefully a little sooner than that. All right. So nice, uh, That's nice, dude. yeah, nice. Way to go out with it at the end of the year. Uh, I feel like uh, you made a machine where Vince was like, I think he said this is not, he wouldn't touch it. <laughs> this is basically the machine yeah, that he would want to use. The whole point was uh, <laughs> like, there, there's a, a vocal minority in the internet that like thinks like, oh, you can't make a good belt drive machine. You have to have linear rails. And for, for a lot of people who are just starting out, that's, it's kind of not really true. I mean, it's like saying, if you have a, let's say, a top-of-the-line Mustang, you can't have a good experience with the base-level Mustang. Um, the, the whole performance gamut of CNCs is very broad, and to deny a very large portion a an affordable entry point is kind of uh, doing everyone a disservice. But we do want to acknowledge that like, you can take things up to 11, and so here's the kitchen sink 
of like all the upgrades that people want, linear rails, ball screws, um, applied to this machine. And uh, that's where we ended up today. And I think you forgot to mention the other big upgrade on that. Oh, machine. yes. Uh, there's there's a 80 millimeter water-cooled VFD spindle, which is quite nice. Yeah, so proper. Uh, what's the, Is that an ER spindle? or It's going to be ER20. Um, so okay, you can great. fit up to a half inch end mill in, in it, um, which also covers most of your standard uh, router bits. So if you're trying to do like a corner radius profile or like any of those custom profiles you do on a router table, like you can throw those um, bits onto the HDM. Yeah, nice. I mean, I don't even use anything bigger than a half inch in a freaking like DVF or something or Haas. Like usually half inch is like my sweet spot for the end mill that I like to use. Yeah, I think where it's really going to help is... Um on smaller tools, right? Because the runout should be, I'm assuming that's going to be much better runout than you'd see on a, a DeWalt or, you know, basically a router. Yeah. Uh, um, the, the, tape router based window. the taper angle on an ER collet does help with alignment a lot more. The, the cone-shaped taper on a Makita-style collet tends to give slightly worse uh, runout performance and alignment. So switching to ER is a nice, nice change and it'll be a big upgrade for anyone who's been using like a, a Palm router or even a full-size router on their CNC. Yeah, so this is, I mean, definitely a machine that can handle uh, aluminum plate work, it sounds like. Um, yeah, um, I, I will throw in a caveat that you're probably going to want to hook up a compressed airline or something to it to get yeah. some air blast going, because anecdotally, what I've found to be the limiting factor is usually chip evacuation. Like, you can't just yeah. slap a three-fluid end mill and start doing, like, a, a Titan-style slotting cut, because <laughs> uh, you'll just chip weld immediately. <laughs> um, yeah. So you'll still have, like, without flood coolant or anything, you do have to dial it back a little bit, but for what you can achieve on a single uh, 110 volt circuit, this machine should get you pretty close to maxing it out. Yeah, I think I found out on the Neo, like uh, the lifetime of a uh, end mill running like Neo speeds in aluminum without any coolant running is about a second and a half <laughs> <laughs> at 36,000 RPM. Yeah, it definitely helps to have coolant or at least chip. You know, some sort of chip evacuation in there at those at those speeds and powers. Oh, very cool. Are you guys? Um, yeah, I guess you said you're, you're doing one size now, kind of getting that really dialed in, but potentially going to be different sizes down the road. Yeah, there's a lot of things that we're learning um, with this first size. Um, because we want to ship it like basically fully assembled, it's going to show up on a pallet, uh, which means we've got to work out our, our logistics with freight and everything. Uh, so that's kind of new for us. So once we figured out for the smaller size, we can work up to a larger size. And also, like, the machining, the assembly of everything, making sure that even, like, these small machines ship okay, they don't get jostled too much. Uh, so we'll start small and let our ambitions grow from there. What was the uh, table size again? Like, your part, or whatever the biggest part I, I know the travels. Uh, it's, like, 690 by, like, 540 or something. And... You metric yeah. <laughs> I know it's it's bad. I've started using metric more and more. No, no, it's better. It's just I I'm not used to because you know we use inches at work and stuff. But okay, it was like twenty six inches. It's big right? enough for most things. Um, there are still like certain things that'll reach for the shape oko like double XL four. But like to start with a two foot piece of stock, it's it's more than plenty. And the Z travel is pretty generous. It's the same as the uh, HDZ, so like a hundred and forty five millimeters of travel. So you can. You can fit a pretty tall workpiece under there, or like a, a milling vise or something, uh, and and still have something nice. usable. Yeah, and you guys are still steppers, right? Um, same 
architectures. Yeah. Um, yeah we're cool. doing high torque NEMA 23s at 36 volts. Um, oh, okay. And these are these are pretty large steppers. They're like almost yeah. twice as long as the, the current ones. We started originally with a belt drive and a, a reduction between them and the ball screws. And it just added a little bit of complexity in terms of like gearing it down and making sure there's enough torque. But also our, our boss just really didn't like the way it sounded. Because if you're using like a timing belt or something, you have an extra kind of harmonic, like the, the, mm. the teeth grinding engagement. Um, and it just, he just, he didn't like the, the extra um, way we had to kind of grow the structure a little bit to accommodate the offset stepper motor. So we just put everything in line uh, and called it a day. The the spindle mount thing is. Uh, did you guys do any testing just to see like if that was? I'm always thinking like, okay, worst case scenario, right? Is that enough to keep it from uh, basically deflection or run out while you're running? I know you have it in the middle, probably for the clearance, right? So it can get all the way down to the bottom of the table and stuff. I don't know if you guys did any testing on that, or this is what you found to be the, the sweet spot for uh, clearance and rigidity. Um, not really like we haven't done any like modal analysis or anything but i mean this is kind of anecdotal we just took everything and beefed it way up um if you look at the like if anyone ever wants to like get one of these machines and take it apart you'll see that the wall thickness on all our rails and extrusions are just honestly they're a little wacky and just like how yeah. thick they are so instead of uh, a real spec uh... <laughs> Right. Instead of doing like a full simulation and analysis, we just made everything super beefy. Overbuilt. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. does help um, in some ways because aluminum isn't as good as uh, like at rejecting vibration as like steel or cast iron. So just having that extra mass uh, helps keep vibration down. Yeah. That's cool. I mean, it looks like if someone really wanted to change the spindle or do something different, they, they probably have a lot of room to make their own mount and throw something else on there. Yeah, um, the biggest thing is kind of the, the standoff distance, the center line of the spindle from the the back plate. There's, like, if you take a router, for example, like, the, the top half has, is kind of bulbous and it sticks out a little bit and has some overhang. Uh, so it's just, like, different spindles, um, unless they're perfectly cylindrical if they have some kind of protrusion, like an airline, if you have, uh, I know some of the spindles have like, you, you run compressed air to, to keep positive pressure on the bearings and whatnot. Like you could find an out of China, like 40,000 RPM spindle and throw it on without a problem, most likely. But for the most part, like, especially for the mar market we're targeting, like woodworking and that kind of thing, you're not going to be running a 40,000 RPM like end mill through like oak <laughs> yeah, yeah there is capability to like mod it all in though because like on the spindle mount we have some either m4 or m5 holes um so i personally plan on mounting some some air blast in there uh so i mean i don't think most people will need to modify their machines and clearly if vince doesn't need to mod his machine most people shouldn't <laughs> but if you want to like the the capability is probably there in the platform yeah it looks like it it's awesome. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's a standard uh, spindle size, right? So that's yeah, pretty easy. 80 like millimeters. Yeah. yeah, I definitely see people probably are figuring out some way to you know put some sort of a coolant or something on there. Because you guys can put a full metal bed on that, right? So you like, can. Um, so it's the hybrid table design we have, which means right. uh, you got. I think MDF four uh, cross beams that go across, and we have extrusions and MDF slats that go across in the Y direction. Uh, so basically, like 
if anyone wanted to make a large metal fixture plate with holes in the right spots, you could bolt it down and use that as your work holding. Yeah, that's crazy. Do you? I mean, this is like uh, this is like the dream Shabuko machine. Are you guys? I'm sure in the future, are you guys planning to keep going with it? Like, keep making it crazier, bigger, uh, better? Personally, I would like to. I know my boss uh, would also like to see it, but like, we don't know if there's a market case for it. Our R&D development bandwidth is, is kind of narrow. I can say, like, in the next year or so, like, it's not going to change significantly. If, like, we had an unlimited budget, I would totally throw an ATC on it. Um, but Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's what For I'm talking now, about. For now, it's it's not in the cards, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. It's good that it's on your mind, though. So I mean, it is one. on my mind. <laughs> I, I know Luke would love to. It's on everyone's mind. But yeah. it's it's really hard to find a unit like that that won't add like right. four to five thousand dollars to the price tag, and then you've just doubled the price exactly. of the machine. Um, so then it becomes like a very different class of machine. Once you hit like five figures, like people's expectations change a lot. Yeah. The thing is, like, it's like one of those things, if you build it, they will come, right? It's like, if you had a machine like this that had an ATC, dude, people would just be throwing money. Like, at least in my opinion, I would be throwing money, right? Because that's, that's the ultimate at-home type of thing, to have at least, like, five tools that you can change automatically. Like, yeah, that's the and, but there's there's just even more that goes into that, because once you step it up to that level, you have to have shop air or a compressor or something running the architecture of the machine will have to probably change from an electrical perspective because right now we're pretty close to maxing out like a, a 15 or a 20 amp circuit. So you throw your own compressor on that same garage circuit, you're probably going to blow a, f- a breaker. And then on top of that, you probably have to have air blast or something on it because on most of the CNC routers out there, the, the kind of tool holders they're using, they're kind of exposed sitting on a wine rack. And so you get aluminum chips, you get wood shavings, you get dust on there. Right. I know the Neo, like, you've got two little air blast nozzles that are perfect for just making sure any chips that did get under the the tool magazine cover, like, are blown away before you try to clamp onto the, the shaft of a tool. Um, exactly. So that means, personally, I would want to see, like, a, a nice air blast system on the machine before we even attempted ATC. So yeah, there's there's a lot of things that just the the requirements start growing significantly to make it a more complex machine and far more expensive than it originally was i mean that's probably why you don't see one on the market right now right that's it's like once you get an atc you're jumping to like i think what like 10 11 15 grand or something yeah, the price goes think, up quite a bit too so right um right. or decent you know proper one and then you have to add tool holder costs and like it adds up yeah but i think anyone who needs it understands the price and the cost of doing that yeah. kind of business, right? Yeah. Like if you're a person that needs ATC, then you kind of know what comes along with yeah. it. Yeah. But also, I mean, like our brand has kind of, we're starting from the bottom with most people. Like this is their first CNC. So we don't really want to make that jump too soon. We're like, I, I feel like the buying experience would be a little more negative if someone was like, why can I get a, a, a $1,500 shape Oko or a like $15,000 shape Oko? But, I mean, like, the people who know what they need, it'll be fine. But we've always had, there's kind of been a sales burden with explaining to people even the difference between, like, the regular HDM and a, a Shapeoko 4. Uh, so I'm assuming, like, basically the, the HDM expands, potentially expands the materials you can work with. 
uh, some little bit more challenging materials, uh, or even with the you know even with stuff you could do on the other shape echoes, you could probably do more efficiently, quicker right on this machine. Um, I'm assuming it's a little more accurate with the ball screws. I don't know how the speed compares to the belt driven shape oko. So this like is where the shape oko four and the pro are actually like fantastic in terms of speed, um, because it's a, a direct drive system with like a pulley in the belt. Like I've run that machine at like 600, 800 inches per minute in yeah. really soft materials like foam. And that's not something you'll be able to do on the HDM. We're probably going to cap it around 200 or 250 inches per minute. For the the kind of niche applications where that, that high speed actually would be great, you'll miss out on that. But like 200 inches per minute is kind of plenty for a machine that size. Uh, like you can jog yeah. across it pretty quick. Um, and for most of the 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 size cutter you're using the rpm range the chip load it matches up pretty well the only thing that's kind of an edge case is machining steel uh, because your your surface speed of the cutter is is very important if you come in too hot at too high an rpm you like you create sparks you create a lot of heat you start work hardening the material the cutter life decreases so you're trying to run at like minimum rpm there and we can only go down to about 8000 rpm before we lose a lot of torque so like 16th inch, 332nds, 8th inch end mill and steel is, is probably okay, but you're not going to be hogging through steel like you would aluminum in most cases. Yeah, yeah, that's a challenge on all the this, the Javier machine, well, even the Neo. <laughs> it's kind of getting that RPM down to where the material is happy with the, the SFM. It's, mm-hmm. You lose all your torque. So I saw you did some 303. And, yeah, uh, the actually, the problem was I didn't have air blast, so I was just I was yeah. literally recording with a phone in one hand and holding a vacuum hose right next to the part <laughs> with the other hand, so that that cross draft would just suck the chips out. How hot was that block when you were done? Was it pretty warm. It, it was it was like warm, but like not really hot. Uh, yeah, it wasn't that bad. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, anyone who's trying to cut steel on this is just going to be happy that they can. They, no one's going to buy this machine thinking they can just rip through yeah. it, right? Like on a Haas or something, whatever. If they buy it and it can do steel, they're already ecstatic. Like, I don't think they'd be worried that they couldn't go as fast or something. Yeah, even though I did, I did some commercial 4140 parts on the Shapeoko 3. It, it can do it. <laughs> it's an exercise in patience, but, uh, but yeah, you end up turning out parts that uh, you could pay for. Yeah, that's neat. I think, um, I don't know, it's going to be an interesting new ecosystem for you guys, I think. And like you said, it's kind of already probably modded. Like, it's already got all the mods that most people would do to the shape of Go. Yeah, like the pre- most of the, the other stuff, it's, it's just quality of life. Like the Air Blast yeah. or like any, like, um, we're, we're shipping with, uh, I think, Sweepy, like our, our standard, like, clip-on dust boot. Um, but you could, like, the sky's the limit when you have a platform that's as robust as that one. Like with the Shape Oko, like you could throw a fixture plate on like the MDF table and it would it could sag a little bit. Um, like here, I have like zero qualms about bolting on just about anything uh, to the, the the structure. I think you guys. I mean, you guys have had busy twenty four months. <laughs> Putting out new products and yeah. accessories too. Like it's been Nomad great. three, Shapeoko four, yeah. Shapeoko Pro, HDM. Um, just for the machine launches, the accessory launches, we've also added a couple things too. So yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. Actually, one Especially- of the the things I was working on before I can like also say what it was um, when I was doing the injection molding design. 
that was for the um, next, uh, the version two of the Bitrunner, which is our, our relay to turn a router on and off automatically. Yeah. Um, so that enclosure uh, is all injection molded because it's just when you have like thousands of Shapokos in the wild, it's really hard to do a sheet metal architecture at scale and quickly. So injection molding was kind of the way to go for that. And this is this is the machine that Luke Luke's kind of been working on something even before he's with uh, before he joined Carbide, right? Something along this line. Yeah, he had his like the Beaver whatever the hdz was for like that was originally supposed to go on his machine okay. and uh once we uh acquired him he focused on getting the hdz like integrated with our supply chain and just iterating on that and then we also yeah. once he was fully in the loop like we just gave him the reins to design the hdm uh, so even though it's like under the shape oko umbrella um it's still kind of like luke and edward like tag teaming the products in that uh brand yeah i mean that's the nice thing you know he's got some great ideas and i think having the heft of uh carbide 3d and you got you know you're basically your knowledge and supply chain and, and shipping a product at volume you know that's that's a good combination right there and it's and, also sorry, like it's already showing <laughs> <laughs> it's also um there's just a lot of uh, like some more economies of scale when you bring everything under like one company that I can't say we're like super well vertically integrated, but like we have our own controller, uh, which makes like designing and deploying things a lot easier. Yeah. It's not like, oh, which which microcontroller am I going to get? Which stepper drivers am I going to get? Like when I'm beta testing a machine, I'll just grab a controller off the shelf and plug in our, our motors and off you go. There's no need to worry about like like different machines having different controllers and different configurations. It's just the same control board just flashed with settings for a Nomad or a Shapeoko. So it sounds like, I mean, obviously you guys, you've been busy on the new product side. You've been doing any, any fun shop stuff or even at Carbide or what? Um, I have not been keeping up with you with social media lately. So I'm kind of like, you, really you haven't missed you too much. <laughs> um, but going through like the, the design stuff and the testing stuff, like it's taken up a lot of my time, but I did get a chance to play with uh, some high density urethane foam, like wrench shape. And I just, I, I ran a bunch of tests on it, did some like topographic carvings and I forgot how well that stuff like holds detail. It's just it's so much fun to play with and just to validate toolpaths in it is uh, it's really nice. And it's it's more durable than I expected. Like I machined like um, like a little cylindrical boss and I tried like to, to like poke it off with my fingernail. I was like, wow, that's actually really durable. So it's just it's been nice to just remind myself that you can have some fun in the shop and do something that's not super practical, but just lets you practice the the fundamentals lets you just blow through material and have some fun yeah 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 wrench shape makes you feel real good <laughs> like how good that thing machines <laughs> yeah it makes you feel like a hero um the yeah. other thing that i've been working on in the background is a collaboration with uh, zometry so they reached out to me and uh, was like hey do you have anything like cool you want to make can we work on something and i thought about it and um, one of the things that like I've seen some people do, like you, Eddie, is like custom work holding for the Pocket NC because that machine, as awesome as it is, the stock work holding options aren't that flexible. You got your little vice, you got some potential for uh, adhesive work holding with like the the little plate that you can mount to the B table, and you've got the ER40 collet. So I, I thought about it and I was like, well, if if they're going to manufacture a part of this for me. 
I, I could probably make a, a really cool tombstone or some other kind of like a, a custom vice or something. Uh, so I'm playing around with that in the background and hopefully later this year we get to to see what happens when my brain is unleashed and freed from certain parts of the prototyping process. So you're do- yeah, so you're doing the design side and Zometry will do the will actually make it for you using their yeah, CNC. The the more difficult parts of it, uh, I'm going to let them do. Okay. But like for one of the the vice designs I'm working on, I can machine the jaw or like soft jaws out of aluminum just fine on the Nomad or something so I can bolt those on um, and let them work on the the larger components um, and I'm designing it so I can just like get some McMaster like bushings some pins so for everything to slide on. So we'll see how that goes, but I'm I'm cautiously optimistic that this will actually be pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's a tombstone still a hot item. At least two other commercial efforts to try to get tombstone out for pocket and see him. I never had, I ran out of time. So mm-hmm. <laughs> basically never got to do mine uh, beyond the ones I built for myself. Uh, or actually had designed and had someone else make for me. Thanks to John Saunders. Um, yeah, so I think that's uh, that's a fun space to play in, though. I think you'll, you'll like that. Yeah. That's um, a good idea. My my current design idea is to have kind of like a, a universal plate that mounts to the B-table. And uh, you can either bolt a tombstone to the top of it. And uh, the thing that I'm, I'm hoping works out is kind of a two-station vise vertically mounted. Um, cause the, the big thing with the pocket NC vice is that your, your clamping force is kind of weak before you risk deforming the body of the vice. Yes. Uh, the, those pins will just try and, and rip the, the vice apart as you, uh, put clamping force on it. So my theory was that if you have stock that's machined and pretty consistent, you basically have a double-sided pocket NC vice. You use a bolt to, to pull the, the, the moving jaw down, um, but the forces would be balanced on both sides of the vise. And so we'll see how that goes. Uh, if it works out, it could be pretty cool. And one thing I'm doing, since I'm, I'm not commercializing this or anything, I can share it freely, but the thing I wanted to to do was to kind of inset a lot of the, the meat of that mounting plate inside where the ER40 collet would be so you can bolt things down to it. Because one of the limitations I thought uh, was the amount of thread engagement you could have if you were trying to bolt accessories onto it. So you offset a lot of that material below the surface of the B table so you can bolt bolt things down like in a really sturdy fashion. Yeah, I was looking pretty hard at that to see if I could fit like a 5C collet closer like through that and have it you know basically protruding through the back because they're pretty long. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't I never got around to uh, like validating. I think it would still would have been too long. It would have collided with the floor of the the you know or the enclosure in my case but yeah that you could you could probably shorten it up if you needed to i don't know if they actually never even well the collets are do they sell the collets are pretty long (laughs) you know by themselves so uh it kind of sets an upper or a lower limit on how long the closer would be you know i'm talking about the five c's because they're i think they're like two inches long right yep yeah i'm not sure if they actually sell like stubby ones or anything but i mean it wouldn't it wouldn't be too hard to, to get a short one yeah. made. But I always like the idea of you know bolting to the the rotary table as being the kind of the reference, and they're going to get the, getting that dialed in right, and then use that as your mount. Like you could actually machine it on the on your machine if you really need to be super accurate, right? Because like I think we all know the ER forty collet system's great. Um, it's got some challenges with run out. The I'm sorry, the specifically the pocket and CER forty, right? Uh, so if you're doing like super high precision work, I think you're better off like mounting to the flat. Uh, or to screwing something into the rotary table and then uh, kind of building your fixture location around that. 
be interesting to see what you come up with. Yeah, I'm hoping it works. Um, but I mean, it's it's just going to be a fun experience. I've been uh, I haven't really been doing anything worth talking about. Um, I'm playing around with this little design idea for the Neo, like an accessory mount. I think I posted. I may post a story about it, but it was, I've gotten as far as like a 3D. I, I'm working on like a base that would mount like a mounting arm that mounts. I want something that, like that can be spindle mounted or on you know mount on the Z housing. And there's a couple of uh, M6 threaded holes that are available, like on the front and on the side or near the spindle for holding stuff like that. So I'm trying to make like a universal, uh, I guess, arm you call it, um, and then various things that can bolt to it, like a GoPro mount or uh, actually, the, what got me first kind of looking at it is I might want to add like a extra air blast jet, you know what I'm saying? Kind of just plumb separately from the spindle. They can reach like with longer tools or really deep slotting. It can be a challenge with the uh, on the Neo to get the two uh, spindle mounted nozzles, you know, the ethanol nozzles, or, or they're also the air blast nozzles to kind of get them into a deep channel. Like it'd be nice maybe to have a third one that you could really just put where you want, like have a little more movement on it. Uh, might be a bad idea. I got, you know, it's got a lot of challenges around collision and stuff, but um, if you know, like the operation you're going to be running, you can basically just set it up for that and then move it out of the way when that's done. But anyway, so that's kind of what I was working on as far as design work and everything Honestly, else. Honestly, yeah, that, that sounds kind of terrifying. Just knowing the <laughs> amount of clearance in the, the Neo, I'd be super worried about crunching a GoPro. Oh, yeah, the GoPro, I don't know. Like, that, that wasn't my first thought with this thing. I'm just trying to think what else, like, if I have this design, what else might I want to hang off it? And it could it could actually be a much smaller camera than the GoPro. That's actually more what I had in, line, had, had in mind. Like, uh, I was thinking more like a Raspberry Pi camera, which is super thin, mm. super small. Yeah. It's just a PCB board. Um, you do have to add a lens to get a decent video off that. But, but yeah, um, yeah, the air, the having like a third nozzle to that I can put where I want is uh, just kind of the main motivation. And it'll be soft, like hopefully. Um, so if it does crash, it just snaps off, breaks off, like a piece of you know soft hose. And I don't know. I got. To be, I don't want whipping around when the air is going through it. So it's going to take a little <laughs> bit, a little bit more engineering on that side. Uh, what else is going on? I'm still waiting on the new compressor. It's supposed to be here. Um, so they've changed. Kaiser's changed the date a couple of times. I think you know just dealing with customs and everything. Um, my delivery date is actually this. So what is today's the, uh, we're recording on the 29th. It's supposed to be here this Thursday. So excited about that. looks like that date is pretty solid. Hasn't changed in a couple of weeks. So hopefully I will have a, I won't have it working next this week, but, uh, I should have, you know, hopefully have it in place and ready for the electrician to come do the final hookup and then Kaiser to come out and do the initial startup on it. Uh, as soon as we can get that scheduled. So, yeah, my uh, current compressor is hanging in there, although I, I'm probably going deaf, even with all the hearing protection I wear. You know, piston compressors are loud. Even the cats are, get loud if you're in there all day, eight hours, listen to the thing. Uh, so, yeah, I'm ready to, you know, I'm pretty happy with it that it's held up while I'm waiting for this other compressor, but I'm ready to, to move that to my backup compressor <laughs> roll as soon as I can. So excited about that. Um, yeah, the only thing I've been working on this month is, uh, it's like the part of the business that's not so fun, just kind of focusing on getting my systems in place. And it's just me. So it's not like a uh, business and machine where they've got employees, all that stuff to deal with, but I still have to get, you know, basically I switched over to uh, kind of more uh, proper accounting systems. So that was like one of my goals to get done in August. And, uh, 
So I got that, I got moved everything over to zero. And what else have I been doing? And automating and getting some integrations going with that uh, around my billing and sending out invoices and inventory management. So yeah, it's been, it's boring stuff, but it's, you got to do it, right? Because I'm actually, you know, I try to keep track of where I spend my time. Um, so it's been, you know, I've been doing this for almost two years now. Um, I have a pretty good set of notes on, you know, where I spend my time on any given month. That administrative stuff was kind of starting to add up. So now I've got some tools to help me automate it and I'll be able to spend more time on the stuff that uh, keeps the spindle running. So I'm happy about that. Do you cap yourself as to like how many hours a day you're working on this stuff, or so like you, you do you give yourself a four, like five, eight hour day or something? It depends. Or do you just yeah, kind of work it depends up on to what, when you feel like you're tired. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it depends on the work. So I will, you know, for premium, right? I will take on expedited work, uh, especially on prototyping side of the work. I mean, that's been a pretty good opportunity for me. So uh, sometimes that means, you know, basically I might get a job Friday evening and need to ship it on Monday, right? So most of the time that's not a problem. Sometimes it is, right? If I got other work going on. You know, my the kind of steady work I do here, the ice trays, right? That's that's a fairly predictable workload. Uh it doesn't really tie me up too much once I kind of get through the programming, get the part ready to run. Doesn't need a lot of watching at the machine. It's not production work. Like I said, every every one of these molds it's, you know, it's the first time I've run that program. But I've done it so so many of these now that kind of, you know, I know how it, pretty much how it's going to run. doesn't need a lot of attention, but the prototyping stuff still, you know, um, that's me at the machine, right? Watching every single operation, with my, my hand on the, on the, uh, feed override just in case. So, um, yeah, so that work, that can be pretty taxing. Uh, and that's actually what I'm trying to free up more time to be able to focus on taking on some more of the prototyping work too. It's, uh, that's, you know, that's the stuff that makes me grow as far as my skills. I think the other the ice tray work, you know, that was a pretty big investment in learning and getting that process down, but it's working really well now. So, you know, it's more just refining that process over time. But I, I'm, if all I do is that, I'm going to kind of, my skills will start to stagnate a little bit, or maybe just become, I'll become too typecast if that's the right word. Right? So, uh, cause I'm working, you know, basically with one material there that's fairly easy. Um, I, I want to keep kind of going my, uh, the work I do in aluminum too. So, yeah. So that's kind of, that was my, I have like a set of goals that I want to achieve by the end of the year. And one of the big ones was, um, you know, kind of get the business itself running on autopilot as far as, uh, back office stuff. So that's, I made a pretty big headway on that this month. Um, and the other part was, you know, basically get all the ancillary equipment to be reliable, right? The compressors and everything else. And get the yeah. get the environment comfortable <laughs> with the air conditioning. So that's like <laughs> I, I knocked a lot of stuff off my checklist this year. That's gonna, you know, it's gonna be pretty pleasant going forward in many ways. How about you, Chris? Any big news? <laughs> uh, well, like speaking of goals, I think we've talked about it before. And you know, originally when I left the nursing job, I had goals to like maybe in like five years or something to basically work for a company that would send something to space. Um, and, you know, recently I actually lucked out and got an opportunity to jump ahead of my timeline here. And I've actually been offered a position at, uh, Amazon for Project Hyper, which is their low earth orbit satellites that they're going to be providing internet to the world, basically. And, uh, my official title will be prototyping an engineer and I'll be starting in uh, a couple weeks. Wow. Here. So I'm really excited about that. Um, I was super 
you know, nervous about the interview and everything because I don't know if, if you guys are familiar with Amazon's interviewing process. Um, I can go over like the general stuff about it, but you basically have like, uh, typically you have like a phone screening call. Uh, in my situation, I actually got to go to the shop and meet with the hire manager directly and we just kind of had a chat and walked around. Um, and then the main interview is basically they call it a loop and a loop is anywhere between six to however many people they want to add. And each person or team has an hour to basically ask you questions, uh, a combination of technical questions and uh, Amazon leadership principles. So Amazon, uh, they hire people based on these 14 principles. Um, if you Google it, they're everywhere. But, you know, things like... Um, customer obsession, ownership, inventing and simplify, um, hire and develop best, insist on high standards. There's basically this core culture of fundamentals that they want every Amazonian employee to signify or have. So your questions need to display these principles, basically. And this is not anything secret. Like anybody can Google what I'm saying right now and it's all over the place, right? There's YouTube videos on it and all. So this is just how they hire people. So it was tense. I was scared in the beginning. I was nervous, but I think it was half nervousness, half anticipation of just waiting for the day. Um, I've never done an interview like this. Most of my interviews are basically I walk in, I talk to somebody face to face, and we chat about my experience, and then that's pretty much it, right? So this was, and especially like uh, this whole like doing it over like a camera, and like you know, I'm not f- comfortable with that either. You know, like staring at a lens versus staring at the screens when you're talking to somebody. Like, I, there's just like a lot of factors that are not a combination to make me feel confident when it's everything's like my first time. But um, I think naturally when I enter something new like this, my tendency is to over prepare, and that's kind of what I did. So uh, I think the over prepared nature of myself kind of carried me through that. So uh, obviously yeah. everything worked out, and uh, I'm super excited to start. I, I I'm just completely uh, ecstatic that I'm able to get this opportunity, you know, so early in, in this manufacturing career. Uh, I think it's only been like two and a half years, I think. And to, to get this opportunity is just amazing. I'm super grateful. And I have to have a, a big shout out to Dan, Daytron Dan over there, or now Kern Dan. Um, he actually was the one that kind of shipped me this information. And uh, he talked to the guy and said, Hey, I know somebody that might be good fit for this. And, if it wasn't for him, I don't think I would have uh, gone through this initially because the initial requirements for the job were pretty high and I wasn't even anywhere near close to that. And um, if it wasn't for him kind of talking about it and stuff, so I was able to actually get my foot in the door. So big shout out to Dan. It's Machinist Network does it again. Yeah, I, big shout out to Dan. And I spoke to him earlier today to thank him and everything. So but yeah, crazy, dude. I'm going to be Very making nice. stuff, uh, satellite stuff to go into space. So I'm. Very cool. Yeah. He says Project Kuiper, right? So that's their, yeah, lower, like you said, lower Earth orbit uh, communication constellations, I guess. Uh, like, uh, I want, like those other guys, yeah. The complete <laughs> jargon is like initiative to launch a constellation of low Earth orbit satellites that provide like, you know, yeah. low latency, high speed broadband internet to everyone around the world. Yeah, including the, especially the underserved yes. like areas yes. of the world, right? Yeah, and I think that's, that's kind of the cool. key focus is like get everyone get everybody on earth having internet access. And this is actually something that I was thinking about when I was applying. Um, one of the things that I, I missed from nursing was the fact that I felt like even though I was only, I had 25 patients a day, I was only affecting 25 people's lives a day. Right. So on a small, on a scale of like the world, obviously that's very small, but I still felt like I was doing some good in the world. And that was one of the things that I kind of missed. 
And then like now that I get this opportunity to work on a project that kind of infuses basically everything that I want to do. And then on top of that, I get to feel a sense of accomplishment, like, hey, I'm I'm doing something that's going to make the world slightly a better place, right? Uh, yeah. In my mind, the internet, I know providing internet people may not sound like a big deal, but to me it is because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the fact that I had internet and I was able to YouTube and teach myself how to CNC and program. And I'm only sitting here today with this opportunity because of the, in the internet. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't, where would I go learn this stuff, right? I couldn't have learned it while I was working as a nurse. Like, it'd be impossible. So I think the internet portion of it, it, it means a lot to me. And it's actually a, a really great, like, circular cycle life thing where if it wasn't for the internet, I wouldn't be here. And now I get to do something to kind of, like, give back to give the internet to everyone else, right? At least be part of yeah, it. Not saying, like, I'm the only guy. There's a huge team yeah. and a bunch of people who are smarter than me. It's just I get to be a part of that. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah, the mission the mission is is uh, an interesting one. So that's really yeah. cool. And this is probably the last time you ever be able to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, pretty much. Cause, uh, I don't know anything about it. So there's nothing I can spill, uh, cause I haven't started yet. Yeah. It's a really cool team and I've met some of the people already and I'm, I'm excited to, to work with them cause everyone's brilliant there. So. Yeah. That's a great group. I, some of them are on Instagram, so I, I, I know who you're talking about. That uh, that's exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. Super stoked about that. Um, and then. Congrats, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then I guess for personal stuff, I know we talked about like what we we're going to make when we visited, uh, you and I, I've been working on that water cooler for the CPU and stuff. Oh yeah. So I, I'm almost done. The last thing I have to do is basically create the channels for the flow. So I'm doing a little bit of research about how I can, uh, I can do all that stuff, but that, um, that's just kind of been like on the back burner when I needed a break from preparing, I'd work on the project a little bit and then get back to preparing. Yeah, that's cool. I think uh, just the machines you get to play around with. Are, it's like I'm a little jealous. <laughs> I, I mean, it's it's the world class, right? It's the it's a dream. It's yeah. all the dream machines, and yeah. uh, you know. So and it's and it's being in a place where they they want they want you to be <laughs> like a dreamer. They want you to think big. They want you. There is nothing too small. They're willing to buy the best yeah. things. It's you know a, what I mean? Like it's not like you're not penny pinching. It's like no, get the thing that's going to help us be better. Like yeah. we got to be good, right? So that I love that. And you're on the, I mean, you're on the prototyping side, which is like perfect, right? Yeah. For uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Oh uh, wow. So I I if don't. I was like thirty years younger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't even know what's in store. I know. I know it's going to be challenging, and and I'm excited for that. I love the fact that we're going to be probably creating new things and new processes and things that people have never done before to get the things that we want to accomplish. Right. So, uh, yeah. I, I'm just super stoked, super happy. I, I, yeah. So, but anyways, yeah. Very good. That's big news. Yeah. I think you're going to have a lot of fun, especially because this is like no pun intended, but like just getting off the ground. Um, this is a product that's, that's probably going to be iterated on a lot. And it's going to be very different than something major, like in the aerospace world. Like if you're working on like, a NASA like rover or something uh, because those things like they take yeah. so long to make because they have to get it right on the first try. Whereas uh, Kuiper kind of like Starlink, I'm assuming like you're going to keep iterating, keep improving. So over the life of this product, you're going to, you're going to get to have a like just experiment with a so, lot of things and yeah. it'll keep you busy uh, without being bogged down by like all the, the technical 
like the paperwork, the the bureaucracy, like the the we have to get this yeah. right on the very first try. So we're going to spend like nine months doing like CFD and and all these other things and uh, simulating vibration testing, whatever. Like, yeah, I would assume it's a very fast uh, iteration, you know, generational iteration on their designs because that is low Earth orbit. Or they're somewhat expendable anyway, right? They don't stay up forever, like a ge- like geostationary, right? They're kind of. I'm assuming I, I could be wrong about that, but I'm assuming they're pretty subject to atmospheric drag. But and you always have to kind of replace them, right, over time. So it seems like the design would be, you know, there's always windows. And to also, keep improving you're it. launching these in fairly large numbers for like a constellation perspective. It's not just like, oh, there's like 24 GPS satellites or something. Thousands. You're probably gonna have yeah. many yeah. dozens of these. Yeah, yeah, and you'll be able to see it. You'll be able to point. Hey, I built that. Point up in the sky. <laughs> you see that? You see that thing that's blocking your telescope lens? Yeah, that I, I made that, that thing. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. so super happy about that, and everything you said is absolutely true. So I, I can't wait. So I think one of the things that will be completely new for me in thinking is scalability on, on a massive scale, right? How do we build? Yeah, uh, one Amazon, thing, but we got, uh, we got to make many, many strength. thousands, thousands of stuff. So yeah. uh, that's going to be pretty cool to try to figure out. Yeah, when I was uh, back. In my old life, I was on the you know software development side, so Amazon was always kind of like we went to you know at the conferences I went to. That was there's usually uh, somebody from Amazon talking about. I mean, going back like a couple of decades, talking about scaling, right? The challenges they were seeing scaling their business because they were they were like the first ones to really talk about it publicly, and uh, it was great. Like it ended up being you know what we now call AWS, but back just kind of watching them deal with the challenges of like one of the first big internet businesses. It's like it's mind. It opens your mind to like start thinking about transactions and anything at that scale, right? It's just a whole different set of challenges. So very interesting. I think you're gonna, yeah. yeah I think you're gonna like it. So hey guys, I hate to kind of cut this off short here, but um, I need to kind of wrap up, finish up some stuff I was doing this evening. So uh, any uh, last parting words from anybody before we call it a night? Uh, no, I think this was a great talk, though. Yeah, no, it's good talking to you guys, and uh, glad everyone's doing well, and keep uh, we're, we're all progressing here, so that's great. Okay, and I'll just uh, remind you for the listeners, um, if you haven't listened to the last couple of episodes, you may have missed it. We, we've moved to a once-a-month uh, format for episodes, approximately once a month, <laughs> so, and we're not doing the bi-weekly anymore, so some folks have reached out, they thought we, we'd kind of stop doing it, but we're, we're still putting out episodes, uh, just not quite at the same cadence, so we'll talk to you in about a month. Good night, guys. Night. Talk to you guys later.